You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we have Anna Luizos. She is a set designer on Broadway for shows such as In the Heights, Cinderella, School of Rock, and Avenue Q, just to name a few. Hi, Anna. Hi, Mason. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just uh, out of the city at the moment. Um, we left. Uh, we left New York mid-March to get away for an indefinite period of time, assuming it was going to be maybe a couple of weeks. Well, now it is. What is it? Uh, July, and we're still here. Uh, but we're up in the country, so it's nice. We're surrounded by nature, and we have dogs and two cats, and so they get to be outside and enjoy all the benefits of being in the country. So that's that's the plus side of this pandemic. Do you want to talk about how you got to where you are as a, as a set designer? Well, um, I have always loved theater, and I think, as as do you, since you were, I think you've always been drawn to performance theater um, as I was when I was a kid I was I always loved being in plays um, you know we would write plays and put on shows in grammar school and and middle school and then um, you know in high school I I, I was in musicals because I love musicals especially um, so I was always drawn to theater from a very young age assuming that I would be uh, performing. That was my first love was just being able to perform and play characters and be on stage and saying, you know, use, use all the skills that I had acquired over time because I was also a musician. I could play music, play guitar and was in this high school orchestra. Um, and then when I went to college, I, I applied to, uh, to study acting first to, uh, a college in California. I grew up in California. I went to a small private women's college called Mills College for the first couple of years. And of course, I was in all the plays and musicals that we performed there. But the, um, the talent pool was limited and the resources there were limited because it was a small women's liberal arts college. So um, I decided to apply to NYU and transfer to New York University. Uh, in the uh, undergraduate acting program. So I, I, uh, they had a whole series of um, associations for undergraduate drama students to um, work in various studios, professional studios. Um, uh, Lee Strasberg, Stella Adler, um, Circle in the Square, 
all the various uh, theater schools that were in New York City at the time. And um, so I got into the one that was affiliated with Circle in the Square Theater School and took all kinds of performance classes, acting, dance, movement, and uh, really enjoyed it. But, uh, you know, being in New York City, there's a lot of people who want to do the same thing. Um, so when I graduated, I wasn't sure if that was the only thing I wanted to do. And I'd always been interested in, in what, how, how scenery was built and how it was created and always helped on the crew and helped build the sets when I was in college. And it wasn't until I came to New York, I realized that that was actually a profession. You know, like when you're growing up, you don't realize that there are so many other um, skilled people that it takes to put on a show. There's lighting, there's sets, there's props, there's costumes, there's so many other factors that contribute to putting on a show. And uh, for me in particular, set design was intriguing to me. So I applied to NYU's graduate theater program uh, and they had a design department there. And I got in because I did have skills to, I could draw and I could, I could visualize things. So um, I was accepted into the program. And uh, because it was a, you know, a big expense and a big commitment, the first year they allowed me to go part-time because I didn't have all the financial aid that I uh, needed. So they took an, they made an exception for me and they actually let me go part-time, which was unusual at the time. But it was, uh, it afforded me a chance to really learn some basic skills for set designers, which is, you know, drafting and model making and just practice my drawing. Um, after that first year, I realized that it was a huge financial commitment and decided I didn't want to necessarily spend that kind of money just to learn basic skills. So I took a leave of absence and I got jobs working as an assistant to designers because then I could really see what the profession required. You know, like, what does it take to be a set designer? I had no idea. I had never really done it before. So as I started assisting people, I could see from the ground up, how, how, the, how the profession worked and what it takes to visualize something and then execute it uh, on paper and in model form so that people could understand what it would take to build the set. Because, you know, you need to provide information for shops to build the scenery. You don't build it yourself uh, when it comes to the professional level. So you need to basically function as an architect you know, you have to provide them with ground plans and sections and detailed drawings of every single surface that needs to get built. You have to specify what kind of paint treatment, what kind of wallpaper, um, all the kinds of things that you need to have something get built. So um, that's what I learned as an assistant. And I did that for five years. So I, I worked for a number of designers and got to work on a professional level and meet people at scene shops that were building the scenery and got to see something from concept to completion. Um, and that was, that was great because you really got to see what it takes to, to do that, um, that kind of work. So after five years, I realized that I could just keep doing that and be a professional assistant, but also part of what, uh, what you can do as a designer is you can work in various echelons of the profession. There's, you know, um, local off-Broadway stuff. You don't necessarily have to be in a union, but if you want to work on Broadway, you have to be a member of the union, the United Scenic Artists. So that was my goal, was that I wanted to be able to work on Broadway 
as even as an assistant, you have to be in the union. So um, I reapplied to NYU and into their graduate design program because I wanted to also uh, create a portfolio for myself and to see what I was capable of doing. You know, if you're working for other people, you're basically executing their vision. So for me, it was like, well, what, what am I capable of doing? I wasn't sure. So by applying to NYU or reapplying, I got in, of course, and I completed the, the graduate program, which got me a master's degree. And um, also I applied to get into the Scenic Designers Union. I took the exam and I got accepted and um, I was on my way. Uh, so <laughs> that's, the, that's the short version. Um, and then of course, having all the qualifications and being uh, a, you know, on a professional level doesn't necessarily get you the jobs. That's the next step in your, on, on your career path. Uh, and that also took a long time. During production, how many models do you usually draft before rehearsals even start? Well, you, have, you spend a lot of time talking to the director because um, what, what, as a designer, what you end up putting on stage is the result of many conversations with um, the director. And if it's a musical, sometimes the choreographer, so that, and the costume designer eventually, and lighting designer, um, because you're creating a world in which this story is told. And um, before we even begin putting any pencil to paper, um, we sit with the director and have conversations about how she or he sees the play, what if they had any thoughts about how they envision um, the world of this particular piece. Um, and often what we do is we bring visual material to each other to show what, you know, like this is my impression when I read the play, after I've read the script several times and listened to music, if there's music, I'll say, you know, I, I pull a lot of research and I'll show, you know, visual things. And often the director has uh, a strong sense of how they respond to the play. And, and it may not even be something specific like this room. It more, it more could be something like, you know, this painter speaks to me. There's something about the style of this artist that feels appropriate for this production. Or um, there's something, it feels like it should be very stark. I don't want to see a lot of furniture. I don't want it to be realistic. I'll be more conceptual. So there are a number of approaches you can take when you work on a play or a musical. There's no, there's no single way to do something. So first you have to have a meeting of the minds between the designer and the director. And once you do that, then um, I will do some, maybe some rough sketches to kind of get a sense of what I think the stage picture might look like. Or if, it's, if, it has, if space is very important, and spatial relationships becomes very important, we will first build a, 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 a replica of what the theater space would be in scale. And um, do you understand what uh, scale represents? Yeah. To? Okay, so, so say for example, you have a you know, 50 foot by 25 foot space to, to play with. I will replicate that in scale. So I will take, um, I'll use say if it's half inch scale, I will use half inch scale. So a half inch represents a foot. So if I have a 50 foot space, half inch scale would make it a 25 inch wide 
piece of model, you know, uh, model space. Um, and then it allows us to represent accurately how things would fit in that space. And um, I may start with a very rough version of a set if I've come up with like a ground plan where I think we want walls or um, doorways if it's a play. Um, and I'll just mock up something in you know, white paper, crystal board paper, like rigid white paper, and we'll set up walls and we'll sit there with the director and we'll say, how does this feel? Maybe the door should be on this side, maybe the door should be on that side. But we'll do it out of paper first so that we can just cut it up and move things around. And um, gradually, as we start to settle on where the things would be located, I will do a more permanent representation of those walls. I'll make them out of mat board and uh, start adding details like moldings and um, where the light fixtures would go and all that kind of stuff. We do it gradually. By the time they're in rehearsal, though, we've done a lot of our homework so that when we're our goal is usually on the first day of rehearsal to have a finished model so that when the actors come in and they're all about to read the script, they can see the space that they're going to be performing in. And the stage managers will have a chance to actually tape it out on the floor in the rehearsal space. And they can actually feel what it's like to walk across the room and walk through the doorways, that kind of thing. So that's, that pretty much answers your question, I think. Yes. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Where do you, like when you're reading the script, what jumps out to you to give you concepts and ideas to bring to that first meeting? You know, it varies. It really does. Um, some some stories really speak to you very clearly. Some maybe you don't necessarily have a, a strong sense. Um, for example, let's see. Well, In the Heights was a, a musical that I saw in a workshop first up at the O'Neill Center in uh, Connecticut. It was there's the summer program they have up in uh, uh, Connecticut by the Eugene O'Neill Foundation, where they allow creative 
uh, writers and comp composers to develop their their pieces. And In the Heights was one of those uh, shows that was accepted at the time. And Lynn and Tommy and uh, I guess, I don't know if Andy was involved at the time. No, it was Lynn mainly had created this musical and they had a cast of, of actors that played the roles. And, and then there are several performances that they invite audiences to. So when I saw that and I heard the music, I got very excited and um, wanted to be involved as in any way I possibly could uh, because it was about Washington Heights. It was about a neighborhood and a community and the music just was fantastic. So um, eventually the producers offered me the job. I met with the director and Tommy and I started talking. Tommy's the director. We started talking about ways we could render this neighborhood and you know, when I first heard it, it sounded to me like you know the the actors travel from place to place, and it just seemed like the whole set should move, you know, like things should be uh, fluid. Um, but then the producers uh, gave me a directive, which was, we don't want any scenery to move. So that's a problem because when you see something in your mind, you picture something, but then you're told you can't do that. You have to come up with something else. So um, we began to reconceptualize how we might create this neighborhood so that it still feels like a place that has lots of locations. But, you know, the stage is a limited space. You know, there's only so many feet across the stage that you can fit a lot of buildings. So ultimately, we ended up uh, coming up with this idea that you could see through the buildings and see see other buildings through the buildings because what really mattered was seeing the people and and filling the neighborhood with with bodies and so by seeing through the buildings you could see more people and uh that that seemed to solve the problem for us and it also allowed space for dancing too which was uh, also a critical component to the, the show so how do you maximize the space and bring the story to life with just about 40 feet in stage width um, well, because, uh, I, I couldn't just run the building straight across, even with the proscenium, I, I angled them back in kind of a V shape and I, I exaggerated the perspective of the building so that the, the lines weren't straight across horizontally. They actually were angled towards a vanishing point. So it appeared as though there was more depth than there actually was, uh, on stage. So it was by creating the illusion of depth and, uh, and the, you know, there were, there were steps that led up to a, a level across the back where there was a stone wall and the view of the bridge, the George Washington Bridge. All of that was very, very flattened. The bridge itself was um, <laughs> an inch and a half thick all the way across. And it was all um, um, like a laser cut image of a bridge in perspective that was just reinforced with steel and was hanging from a, a line up in the grid. Um, and then upstage of that was a translucent drop, which is painted by scenic artists. And it was painted with translucent dyes so that when they backlit it, it looked like the sky could change. You know, you could change from daytime to nighttime to sunset with the, with the changing of the lights, the colors of the lights. Do you have any tips for starting out set designers? <laughs> uh, that's a that's a that's a tough question. I mean, 
tips? Like, how do you give tips to somebody who wants to be an actor? You know, it has to be something you really want to do because uh, it's a very competitive field and uh, not everyone can do it. Um, but if you really have a, if you really have a love for it, if you love to create the illusion of places and create worlds, then I would say do it as much as you possibly can. Uh, practice rendering. Um, now that people can render on computers, if you learn those skills, it's very helpful because it helps other people see your vision. Because what a big part of what we have to do as designers, we have to communicate our vision to people. You can't just explain it. You have to really show people because there's a lot of people, you know, who can't visualize things, even directors. There's a, directors who you can't, they cannot understand what you're trying to tell them unless they see it in front of themselves, you know, if it's in a model form or if it's in a, a rendering of some sort. So the more you can uh, hone your skills to communicate visually, the better. So I saw you that you've worked on a few TV shows. How do they line up with theater and which do you prefer? Um, I would say TV is a, it's very, it's a much more lucrative profession. Working in television, definitely uh, there's a lot more money in production and in salaries and how people get paid. It's just, it's just a richer profession. Um, that's what it boils down to. Um, but also, uh, I would say for television, it's more compartmentalized in terms of the overall production so that the designers complete the work long before any actors are on the sets. It, and it's very separate. The, you know, the art department is separate from the production department. They, they realize all the work. And often what the difference is, it's also based on reality, most of it. Like, you know, you have to create these real looking spaces. It's real living rooms, real offices, hallways. Um, most TVs, you know, based on real places. Um, so there's, there's less fantasy, there's less um, whimsy to a lot of the uh, design that you have to do for television. Um, so, and you have to accommodate where the cameras can, can shoot. So often the walls have to be removable. Once you're finished as the design team on a specific set, you're already going to the next set. You're already working on the next set. The camera crew comes in, the DP comes in, they're lighting everything, the actors are there and you're gone. Basically. So there's that sense of community that doesn't really exist in the same way that it does for theater, in my view, my personal opinion. And what I love about theater is that we're all in the room together. When we're in tech, everybody's there, everybody's solving problems. No one's off to the next thing. We're all sitting there trying to figure out how to make this work. And I love the fantasy of, and the challenge of creating worlds on stage that invite the audience to imagine that this is real. In other words, it's not, we know it's not real, but there's something that draws you into these live people on stage and this illusion of a space that we all agree we're gonna go on this ride together. And that's what I love about theater. So that is my preference, uh, my personal preference. Even though it's not as lucrative as television or film, it's just what I love to do. So do you think education or experience has been more beneficial in your career? 
path? Oh, I think experience. Experience wins out for sure. The thing about education, though, is it it lays a foundation for you and it helps you um, hone the skills that you will ultimately need for the experience. And so I I think it's very helpful to have a good foundation. Um, Also, you know, being in college or in high school, you're studying literature and you're reading plays. It's a great foundation, you know, reading uh, all a whole range of plays um, is very, very helpful because a lot of plays reference old plays, you know, this Shakespeare is referred to constantly and, and, and modeled uh, new, new plays and stories are modeled after old stories constantly. So um, it's very helpful to have those references, I think, in the back of your mind. But ultimately, I think experience is what you really learn how it's when you really learn how to solve problems because you're in a real in a real situation so my final question is what are you doing during quarantine well i'm growing vegetables um i've done some uh, repairs to my house up here i've uh, expanded some places i have a barn so i've been able to uh, enclose part of the barn and i'm going to turn that into a um, workshop and a garden shed, and um, I'm trying to just be healthy, you know, take care of myself, um, and just enjoy the, the the freedom of the time that I have because normally I'm I'm busy, and you know, for the last couple of years I've been out of out of the country a lot, doing other shows in Japan and Australia, and it's nice to be home for a change. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I hope I helped answer some questions for you and um, give you an idea of what it, what it is that we do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.